Hey everyone, coming at you live from Manhattan at the new John Boy Media Studios. Just wanted to let you guys know ahead of our new episode of Shea Station that we did lose the first five or so minutes of the episode. So you're going to miss our intro regarding, you know, the Bengals advancing to the Super Bowl and Tom Brady retiring. We're going to jump right into the discussion about John Heyman's new report that the Mets are pursuing one more significant piece, whether it's a bat or a pitcher. And then after that, we're going to head to our mainly scheduled topic for the episode, which is the X factors for the 2022 Mets, which players are going to step up and fulfill big roles next season. So hope you guys enjoyed the video. I know you've been a proponent for for pitching depth, which I think needs to be addressed no matter what. But I think if we're going for a bigger name, I think we need a left-handed power bat. I think we need to to fill that that lineup up with somebody that can hit from the left side. Um, a Kyle Schwarber type player. I think that's very important for our for just the overall health of our lineups top to bottom. I think it's really important to get that power hitter from the other side. And I think that's, I think that's what they mean when they're saying we're open to still adding because it's so thin out there from the left side, you've got Conforto and you've got Schorber. Can you think of another name that would fill that spot? I really can't. At least in the free market. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of hinging on, you know, the DH coming through, which I think, you know, it is pretty clear. It will be a part of baseball going forward. Um, yeah, the Mets have were sorely missing power from the left-hand side of the plate and power at their home ballpark. And as we know, Kyle Schwarber torched the Mets and has been doing so for his entire career. I have been preaching a lot of depth. I, I don't honestly think that the Mets need a three-headed monster in their rotation or anything. I think DeGrom and Scherzer are a fine I, one-two at the top. I think, you like you said, we just need some depth pieces. I think we're, we're one or two pieces away from like just filling out our roster as far as on the pitching side. But I think we have all the heavy hitters we need. Of course, you're not going to close those doors to, to adding a, a Kershaw type um, to a rotation because he'll definitely make your team better. And when you have deep pockets like the Mets do right now, you never want to close any doors. But I think significant additions, I think they're looking for a lineup guy, especially from the left side. Yeah, I, I think that I, I've thought about it a lot in in the weeks that we've had no baseball, no real things to talk about. And I think that the Mets looking towards like a six man rotation type of thing could be really beneficial to those guys at the top. We know about Scherzer's age. We know about DeGrom uh, being injured and missing half of last season. And you can bank on bounce backs from guys like Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. But you have guys to fill out, you know, a potential six-man rotation. I think you need maybe one more guy to get in there, and that can come internally or externally. But it doesn't need to be this huge name, I don't think. Do you, I mean, I want to jump right into these X factors because there's a name that I feel like people forget, and his name is David Peterson. David Peterson is a great pitcher from two years ago. He had an injury-riddled, tough start to a season last year that ended up – you know, shelving him for the whole year. But this is a guy who we were counting on going into last year. He made significant strides in his first year. He's a left-handed pitcher, a big body guy that can carry, you know, a heavy workload, but he's coming off an injury and people just forgot that he exists. He doesn't make any lists. I haven't seen him on many depth charts except for, you know, when you when you take a deep dive. I think he's going to make a an X-factor contribution to this team where we're like, He's, he's going to be like, hey, you guys forgot I'm a person and I'm a player and I'm pretty damn good. I made it to the big leagues at a young age. I think he's learning from some of the best in the game. I look forward to him making a, a huge splash in the, in the Mets rotation 
Because like you said, they have significant injuries with DeGrom. You have, you know, Cookie coming off of uh, some major injuries. Uh, you have Tyler McGill coming off a rookie campaign. You just have so many so many innings up in the air, you're going to, you're going to need another depth piece and, and deeper than even Peterson. But I think he's too good to not be considered that five, six spot. I really like that. We were kicking it off with Peterson here because in all honesty, he is a name that I kind of neglected and forgot about. He's not even in our outline. I'm glad you brought him up first. People forget that he had a really solid 2020. And I know we look back on 2020 with a bit of mixed emotions that maybe, you know, some guys had breakout years that weren't really sustainable long-term. But if we look at the numbers, a 3.44 ERA in nine games started, 40 strikeouts in 49 innings. I mean, these are solid numbers for a guy that was basically the number two that year since the Mets rotation was falling apart pretty much as the season began. He's a former first-round pick back in 2017. And like you said, he made it to the show pretty quickly. It only took him about two or three years to get there. And last season, it just it, things really didn't come together for him he is a big lefty guy, and we did lose Joey Lucchese, so he is the lefty of the rotation right now. And if the Mets want to go six men, then, you know, that's your answer right there. You have DeGrom, you have Scherzer, Cookie in Taiwan, who you're kind of banking on bounce backs, and then you have these young guys in Tyler McGill and David Peterson, who, who knows what value you're going to get out of them. They're still only starting. They're still at the beginning of their careers. So for David Peterson, it's going to be a matter of which guy are we going to get? Are we going to get the 2020 guy that stepped up in a huge way and backed up DeGrom when we needed him to? Or are we going to get the 2021 guy that was battling some lingering, uh, lingering issues and uh, some confidence issues, I think, as well? Um, there are some big shoes to fill here. Yeah, so I think I think Peterson's just got – he's got another level to him. You, you never want to discount a guy that's learning what it means to be a pro, to be a big leaguer, um, learning how to take care of his body moving into an offseason. I think people just forgot he's he existed, and, and that's something that he doesn't jump off the page as a – a huge fastball, a huge strikeout guy. He's always going to be kind of underappreciated. And for me, that was always a motivation. And I can see him doing that. Everybody forgot I'm, I was Tyler McGill before Tyler McGill was. And so I think I think he can really push that into having just a not only an amazing 2022, but just an amazing career. The guy's a great pitcher that people just don't appreciate. Yeah, I, I've been a huge proponent of Tyler McGill in the offseason. I really liked what I saw from him and his build. I compared it a lot to early stages to Grom before DeGrom became, you know, a god himself. But David Peterson has a lot going for him, and the Mets are kind of known around the league now for having these big body pitchers, these tall guys that can really throw hard. And Peterson falls in line with those guys perfectly. So, I mean, it is a matter of which version of David Peterson we're going to see, but I definitely like him uh, as an X factor for next season. I'm going to move us forward with a little bit more of possible rotation depth. Another guy that maybe Mets fans have forgotten about since we only really got a brief glimpse of him in 2021. This was a move that really excited me when it first happened. The Mets got a lot of depth pieces together ahead of the 2021 season. Obviously, a lot of those pieces fell apart because we were strapped for depth pretty much in May. But one of those guys that uh, was a big move for the Mets that they got for pretty much nothing uh, from the Marlins was Jordan Yamamoto. Uh, now, not, uh, not, Yamamoto only pitched six and two-thirds innings last year, only made two appearances before he got injured as well and got shelved with a inju uh, shoulder injury. Um, but from what we saw of him, it was six and two-thirds innings, three earned runs, three strikeouts. And the big thing for him that I has always really excited me, even when he got his first start with the Marlins and really sprang on the scene and had a, a really good month to kick off his career, he has a six-pitch arsenal. 
And he uses pretty much all of those pitches pretty equally. So there's a lot of ways for him to go. He's not a big velo guy. He's not a big body like David Peterson or Tyler McGill, but he's sneaky and crafty in the way that he can get outs. So it's just a matter of can he hone his secondary pitches and really find ways uh, to, you know, use his arsenal to the best of its ability. I, I like Yamamoto. I think he's he's a quality pitcher. Uh, like you said, a six-pitch six arsenal. Uh, there was some concerns with him. Obviously, his shoulder was injured, but his velo was down even for a guy that throws a little bit slower. So there was some some question marks going in on can he maintain that effectiveness going forward. And I think, you know, it, it was such a weird season, but for him to 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 go down injured, he lost a, a major year of development. But hopefully this gives him enough time to to get back to full strength and to come into camp with the full arsenal of pitches at his top velo. So it should be interesting. You'll know right off the bat what kind of shape he's, his arm is in. Uh, and if, if he's throwing, you know, those low to mid-90s like he was uh, as a Marlin, uh, he's definitely going to put – he's going to push for that fifth spot and some depth pieces. Otherwise, you know, he's going to iron out his, his next year in the minor leagues until they sh- he shows himself ready. Yeah, I, I think that him and Trevor Williams fall in a very similar class right now. The guys that are just below rotation spots, but could easily slide in there if need be. The Mets have basically eight starters on their roster right now. Not all of them are glamorous options like Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, but they are guys that can log serious innings if they remain healthy. Uh, the month that I had mentioned before came back in 2019 for Jordan Yamamoto when he was a member of the Miami Marlins. It was his first four starts in his major league career. He had a 1.57 ERA and 0.91 uh, whip in that month. So he really displayed great control. He didn't get many strikeouts, only 12 and 23 innings, but he was great at pitching to contact and getting soft contact on those outs. But in the 2021 season, he got pr- hit pretty hard in the few appearances that he made. So it is going to be about location for him. He's a big command guy. And if the command isn't there, then he's going to get knocked around pretty rough. But I think him and Trevor Williams, they're kind of in that same class. One of them could take a step forward. I know me and you both liked what we saw from T-Will uh, after the trade last season. He made some pretty impactful starts down the stretch. What do you think of him in 2022? Uh, I think he's a key piece. I was going to jump right on top of it. Thanks for leading me into there, Jolly. But um, I think Trevor Williams is not only the key for the bullpen as the that long swing guy, I think he's the key for Seth Lugo not to get too much pressure into lengthening out too far because you finally have that true, you know, that true last guy in your bullpen that can just eat up like five innings if uh, if uh, a starter gets pulled earlier, you know, whatever the case may be gets, gets done early. Uh, but he can also, you know, make a spot start here and there to, to fill in that rotation without having to make um, – a roster move. I think he's going to be the key and, and he'll keep Lugo pushed to that back of the bullpen where he needs to be. So they're not tempted like they have been for the, his entire career to be like, all right, what else can you do? Seth Lugo instead, just keep him in the back end, let him do his, you know, one, two inning stints uh, and be finally have a, a, a solidified role. So I love what Trevor Williams brings to me. He's a lot more just based off a of track record. He's a lot more reliable um, than Jordan Yamamoto. Nothing against Yamamoto. He just doesn't have a track record yet. Um, and that's what you want out of a guy coming out of the bullpen is if is you want somebody that you know what you're going to get. Um, you know that if you rely on him, if, especially to be that long guy, like he, say your starter, you know, twists his ankle running down the first baseline, uh, comes out in the second inning after his first, you know, his first AB, whatever the case may be. Trevor Williams slides into that role. He's going to give you four to five 
quality innings and you may not win the game, but he's going to eat up those innings and he's going to keep you it within reach. Um, whereas Jordan Yamamoto could come out and go a third of an inning, give up like nine hits and a couple of runs. You just don't know, or he could go six shutout. So Trevor Williams is that reliable veteran presence in that bullpen that could be that true swing man for me. Yeah, I really like the points you made there. And I feel like people are dwelling on the Javier Baez trade as a loss because we got two months out of him and they hit the road and we gave up a top prospect in a Pete Crow Armstrong. But on the other side of things, we still have Trevor Williams for a decent amount of control here. And, you know, you look at his baseball reference page, it's kind of deceiving how long he's been in the league and how many innings he's logged. Uh, over 145 innings, three years in a row from 2017 to 2019 as a member of the Pirates. One of those years in 2018, a 3.11 ERA and 31 starts. That wasn't that long ago. There's still a chance that Trevor Williams can recapture that. Now, I do think he's going to be a member of this bullpen. But when he was last season, you know, 32 innings here, 3.06 ERA. You know, these are solid numbers, and he was fulfilling pretty much every role. We saw him go two inning outings. We saw him getting uh, an inning here or there. He, we saw him make a couple starts. So he really is a versatile piece of this bullpen, and I really liked what you mentioned about Seth Lugo because one thing the Mets cannot do anymore is really mess with Seth Lugo and his role. There's no more going to be – they cannot put him back in the rotation again. I really think that stunted his growth in 2020 and set him back a little bit. If Seth Lugo can be the eighth inning guy or maybe even a, a closer-by-committee candidate – like Trevor May, like Edwin Diaz, I think that'll help him settle in and you know really get over the woes that we saw in the uh, in the second half there. I would like I would like Seth Lugo to pitch the between the fourth and the seventh, you know maybe give you up to fifty pitches um, and get a couple of days off, like guaranteed get you two to three days off in between. Keep your arm healthy, keep you versatile. If you need that eighth inning guy, you know hopefully like all things being equal, Trevor Williams is going to come into camp. As a starter, he's going to be that. And if everything works out the way the Mets want it to, health-wise, all everything else, he's going to slide into that that swing role on the bullpen. He's good enough, as you mentioned, to to slide into that number four or five starter role if need be. But if you can, you know, make up your perfect season roster-wise, he's going to be your last guy in your bullpen that that can fill that spot out. But he's 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 a reliable guy. Uh, just a really good big leaguer that can do many things. And the Mets are going to need him in multiple ways. Uh, but mostly if things are going the way, you know, towards a World Series victory, he's going to be a bullpen guy. Yeah, I definitely agree here. And I think I want to stay on the topic of the bullpen because the Mets could add to the bullpen. But if they don't, they still have a solid setup here. Uh, with guys like Trevor May, Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo. The one guy that I think is the biggest X factor in this bullpen, and no bias, obviously, because we had him on our show. He's a good friend of ours. But Drew Smith, uh, he finally got to be healthy in 2021. He logged 40 innings, had a 2.4 ERA. He had a really terrific season. And he was another one of these guys that was pretty much all over the place. We saw him come to the rescue in that uh, Taiwan Walker blow-up in Pittsburgh. He pitched solid innings to keep us in that game, a game that we eventually won. We saw him finish 10 games this last season. So Drew Smith is another guy that is going to be able to move around this bullpen. The one thing with uh, Drew Smith that I think will probably prevent him from being uh, the closer is that he's very much a pitch-to-contact kind of guy. His FIP numbers are not great because he's not a huge strikeout candidate, and that's okay because Drew Smith has that nasty cutter, and he's really good at getting uh, hitters to be choked inside and hit for ground balls. So I really liked what I saw from Drew Smith. Again, there wasn't a ton to gauge before the 2021 season just because of his injury woes, and overcoming that I think was a huge boost in his confidence. So I'm really excited for what we're going to see from him in 2022. Me too. I, I'm I'm a huge Drew Smith fan. 
you talked about all the possibilities of what he can can do. I think he's going to make huge leaps forward. Um, he's going to be a seventh, eighth inning guy um, for a long time. Uh, and I, I'm, I see that starting this year. But you mentioned Miguel Castro. And I think that Miguel Castro is the definition of an X factor. He had a, he got a little bit of a taste of being <laughs> being in the Mets bullpen because he was asked to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do. He was asked to go two plus innings multiple times. He was coming in like I felt like he pitched every day for a while. And for a guy that has that type of explosive stuff, you want to you want to make sure that he's at the top of his game every time, and that's going to push him to the back of the bullpen. Give him a Seth Lugo type role to where. Look, this is when you're going to pitch. Be ready during these times. You, you got to stay flexible in the bullpen. But for the most part, in order for you to get ready every day, you have to kind of know what role you're going to pitch in. Whether it's a positive game or a negative game script, you have to know your role. And for a guy like that to have an established role, to, to be that seventh inning guy, to get to Trevor May, to get to Edwin Diaz, if he could say, you know, plus or minus one or two, and then you come in. If he could get a consistent role, I think he's got another level to step up. I think he's a future closer. If he continues to ascend, he's got that kind of electric stuff. Uh, I think he could be that factor. Um, but I think you just got to let him have a role, stay, stay. What's I'm not even sure what the word is. Stay consistent in how you deploy him out of the bullpen, and you're going to maximize his worth to this team. You're going to put him in a in a as a manager. This is what you want to do. You want to put a guy in a position to be successful on a day in day out basis. And messing with when you're ready is really hard to do out of the bullpen. And I think he was set up to fail quite a bit of times last year, uh, more often than not. And you saw some fluctuations in, in his effectiveness. So I think if you just give him a role, let him consistently pitch in it, you're going to see him uh, take strides and, and, and rise to another level. Yeah, I really like the Miguel Castro pick here. There's three points that I want to make. And the first one I want to make has to do with uh, the deployment factor that you mentioned before. The only player that Buck Showalter had managed on the Mets before accepting the managerial, uh, managerial job was Miguel Castro, former Baltimore Oriole. So, I mean, there is some familiarity there. I'm sure Buck probably has a soft spot for Miguel specifically. And when you look at his numbers, Miguel had a solid 2021. It was definitely a roller coaster, definitely an up and down in consistency. But we mentioned before the big hitters, uh, the big boys in the Mets bullpen. Miguel Castro is bigger than pretty much any of them. 6'7", 205 pounds. And that contributes a lot to his velocity. He had the highest average velocity on his changeup of any pitcher in MLB last season at 90.8. So the guy can really fling it in there. That's a scary pitch to face if you're opposing Miguel Castro. But I think it's exactly what you said. You need to find him a role. And obviously, bullpen roles, they fluctuate all the time. You deal with injuries. You deal with guys that are having rough months. You have to move guys around. But I think Miguel Castro probably got moved around more than any other guy in that bullpen. And I think he did suffer for it. So if you can find him that like sixth or seventh inning spot and just keep him there, maybe he's not part of this whole closer by committee thing that Buck may embrace. That's a whole nother discussion. But if Miguel Castro can get a solid spot in that bullpen, stay consistent and figure out how to fire that changeup more and more, I think that he's going to have a really solid 2022. And this is another guy that the Mets have control of for a decent amount of time. So he's here for the long haul. So I think it could be interesting. Yep, I'm I'm excited for what he brings to the table. Uh, electric stuff, good work ethic. Uh, like I said, if you if you can figure out a way for him to have 
it's just all about it's all about your prep work, your routine of when you can be ready. Bullpen guys are maintained flexibility. You know, there's I always talked about like if you're a car engine, I idle a little bit higher and during certain rolls because you know you could pitch at any time. You're ready to go that that way if they your 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 number or your name gets called on that telephone, you could fire it up really quick. But when you have no idea, you know, whether it's the second through the ninth inning when you might pitch on any game it's taxing for you mentally and physically and so if you can just give him like a smaller window on when to be ready and how you're going to be deployed if you're going to come in and get one inning or if you're going to go three innings as long as you maintain some type of consistent window for miguel castro the sky's the limit for that guy yeah and i think we'll we'll touch on one more pitcher here before we get to our hitter x factors i think this is probably the biggest one of any that we've mentioned just because this is a make or break for the Mets rotation, in my opinion. Uh, And that's Cookie Carrasco. I I think that Cookie Carrasco came back a little bit too early from his injury. It was definitely a necessity. If you place yourself in the mindset of a Mets fan back in August, we needed all the innings we could get just because there was no guys around for depth. And I think this maybe will hurt Cookie in the long term, but he did make 12 starts for us. I think that he probably could have missed the entire 2021 season, and it probably would have been a little bit better for his health. But the guy, if you follow him on Instagram and Twitter, he's been training hardcore pretty much more than any other Mets player that I've seen, and I'm pretty on tap with those social medias. He's out there every day working out. He just recently posted a video on his Instagram sort of of his journey back. They showed some scars from his surgery, and I think there's nobody more motivated on this Mets roster to prove their worth than Cookie Carrasco. Uh, I'm excited for him to have a full healthy year, especially an off season coming into it. The guy has fought, you know, tooth and nail trying to to get he, what he did for the team last year was a complete, you know, self sacrifice. You'll you'll never hear him complain about it, but he was pushed way earlier than he should have been, and he did it willingly because he's a team guy. Um, he's one of the few guys in the game uh, that has just an, an absolutely wonderful reputation and he lives up to it the guy is selfless he is a a wonderful teammate and you he showed it last year um and so i'm excited for him to come in fully healthy uh ready to contribute and and show glimpses of the form that he had before um you know the cancer diagnosis before all that so just to come in feeling healthy feeling strong uh and have a lot of pressure taken off of him to have to do it you know because you've got scherzer and you've got DeGrom, two of the best pitchers in the game ahead of you, your contributions, especially early in the season, you're not going to be needed. And so if you need an extra day or if you're not feeling great, you can take a breath. Last year we needed every single pitch that he threw. Um, And so I'm happy for him to come into the year just kind of taking that pressure off of him and letting him do his thing at his own pace, which is he's going to be a a, – I mean, we're talking X factors here. He is not a make or break for me, but just because of um, some of the depth pieces we have and the ability to sign a guy, I do think that he would make our team significantly better. If we're if we're battling for a World Series and that guy slides into your three, maybe even four spot, your team is doing wonderful things. That's a good sign for us if he can if he can just get back to form a little bit. Um, 
he's he's a definite huge piece for this for this team yeah that's sort of what i had in mind when i mentioned him as like my biggest x factor on this list just because if he can find a way to recapture who he was 2018 prior and even 2020 after he had already come back from that cancer diagnosis you know 12 games started 2.91 era 1.21 whip those are solid numbers especially for a number three guy if you have that three-headed monster for a playoff series, man, I'm the opposing lineup has to be a little bit scared. And that's a huge proponent of what made the Mets so successful in their last deep playoff run was solid starters giving you great outings every single night, even though those guys were pretty young when they were doing it. So I think Cookie is going to be finally 100% healthy in 2022, and we're really going to get a gauge on what kind of pitcher we're getting in this trade. Are we getting a guy that's a little bit past his prime that maybe can't hack it anymore, or are we getting a guy that has dealt with so much and is finally healthy and has a clean slate to like really prove himself in 2022? I don't think he needs to be that number three guy, but that definitely is his ceiling. He can really back up DeGrom and Scherzer and bridge the gap to our younger guys at the back end. Yeah, absolutely. This guy is... Um... You know, he's one of those pieces we talked about Trevor Williams role. You know, he's going to come in as a starter, but on the best roster that we could put together, he's going to slide into that bullpen. Cookie Carrasco is one of those guys that's going to push him into the bullpen. Uh, and that's the best scenario for the for the Mets. And I think that's best case scenario for Cookie Carrasco himself. So I want I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the guy that might be behind the plate catching all of these pitchers that we've mentioned before. Uh, as most Mets fans know, uh, the catching situation in 2021 was not ideal, especially from an offensive standpoint. The signing of James McCann has not gone well in its first year. We still have three more years of McCann to see what he's truly capable of. I do think that not playing a, a full season prior really did hinder his performance a little bit. Now he has that full season rep behind him. Maybe he'll come back stronger in 2022. But I do want to talk about his backup in Tomas Nito. Tomas Nito's offensive numbers were not great in uh, 2021. There's no secret there a 588 OPS over 161 plate appearances. The thing that really caught many fans' eyes, including myself, was that Tomas Nino proved himself to be one of the best defensive catchers in the game right now. And as we're learning more and more as we move forward in baseball, that itself is a huge value to a team. Uh, per Jerry Weinstein, he's a, a coach with the Colorado Rockies, really focuses on uh, uh, catching proponents. Uh, he has He's developed his own catching metrics, which I'm still, you know, learning myself a little bit. Uh, you know, plus metrics are a little bit easier for me and for most fans to understand since it's just on a gauge of 0 to 100, 100 being the average in a league. But uh, Tomas Nino tops the list on many of these new metrics in terms of pitch framing, in terms of stealing strikes and stuff like that. And we've seen Mets pitchers in the past personally request to have Nito behind the plate for their starts, most notably Noah Syndergaard when he was with the team in 2019. So I don't know what the future holds for Tomas Nino. Obviously, our number one prospect is Francisco Alvarez, who is a catcher, and it's going to be probably fantastic from what we've seen of him. But there's still this year in between Alvarez being ready in 2022. So it's a matter of who is going to step up to the task, whether it's going to be McCann or Nito. I like Tomas Nito uh, as a human being, as uh, a, a player. I love throwing to him. He's a great catcher back there. He's smart. He's got a cannon. He can throw guys out. Um, and he also understands what it means to be a catcher because he'll sacrifice himself at the plate to make sure that he's locked into the game behind the plate. So he'll he'll make sure, but he he picks his spots on when he can truly battle. He'll he'll come up with some really clutch hits. Um, and that's really all you want is a guy like Yadi Molina in his career. If there's two outs and nobody on, the dude's just trying to hit a home run. He doesn't want to hit a single and get on base. So you can exploit that. But Nito's the same way, whereas he's 
he understands that his biggest addition to the team is how good he is behind the plate and handling the pitchers. So he's focused on that, but he'll give you some good at bats. He's got good pop. He can, he can hammer the ball if need be. He won um, us a game in Atlanta last season when he homered off Will Smith in the ninth. I don't know. If there you, you go. That. I yeah. mean, he came in, you, 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 he comes in clutch when need be. I think he's just, he's just a good baseball player. You know, one of those, those classic catchers of old school, you know, those, those Puerto Rican born, you know, backstops are just, they're, they're different, man. And, and I love, I love what he brings to a team. He he's, you, you mentioned James McCann and what he's kind of not been for the Mets when they signed him, you know, it was um, a questionable free agent signing to give him that big of a contract um, coming off basically like a half a year of, of success, but you're going to need both of them. You're going to need both guys to step up. I think they're going to split some playing time this year, and that's fine. Um, I think James McCann is more offensive, um, and hopefully he starts to bring what he what he showed glimpses of when he was with Detroit. Um, but for Nito, you got to keep both of these guys healthy. Uh, you got to be able to, to bounce them back. You're going to it's a, it's a weird platoon split because they're both right-handed hitters, but um, you're going to see both. They're both going to catch multiple guys. Um, if I'm a pitcher and I'm of DeGrom or Scherzer caliber, I want defense first. I want to throw to Nito because I know he's what he's going to do um, behind the plate. But if I'm also, you know, DeGrom or Scherzer, if McCann can smack an RBI double every once in a while, you know, I'll take him, you know, not being quite as elite as as Nito. But I love that you brought up Tomas Nito. He's kind of been an underappreciated member of the team for a while. Uh, but he really got to show himself in extended appearances last year. And he showed what he's worth. Yeah, I, I feel like more teams are learning that defensive catchers are just important to have on a roster in general. I know the Braves made it an effort to sign Manny Pena at the very beginning of the free agent market because you don't want... Uh, you know, someone lackluster as your backstop back up because, you know, th those are guys that are going to have to play every week. A catcher can't play all 162. We know that. So Tomas Nidio bringing that defensive value, that's the thing that'll never go into a slump because it's instilled in him. It's it's what he's good at. It's what he's trained at for years and years. So that's not going away anytime soon. It's what it's just a matter of if James McCann can bring that offensive value to the plate. You talked about how what he does defensively and pitch framing and getting those corner strikes you know, this might be the last of a dying breed because of the institution of robot umpires and AAA. You know, I don't think we in the baseball community were quite ready to see or didn't think it was this close to being, you know, knocking on big league doors um, in AAA. So the pitch framing, uh, it might be a thing of the past, but is it is right now. It is very important to to how successful your pitching staff can be. And, and Nito brings elite level maybe even you know super elite like you said he, he was at the top of some of those um some of those advanced metrics uh measuring how good you are defensively um but who knows how long that lasts maybe by the time francisco alvarez is in queens we don't even have to worry about it which is sad to me but also you know we'll see what what it brings yeah it is a double-edged sword in that way and you brought up francisco alvarez i do want to touch on a couple more mets prospects uh for those who don't know the top of the mets farm system is extremely talented but also still a little bit far away in terms of when they'll be major league ready 
guys like uh, Alvarez himself or Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio, you're not going to see these guys until probably 2023 or 2024. There is a guy that we did actually get a taste of last season just because of pure necessity. We needed uh, all the hands on deck that we could get, and that's Khalil Lee. Uh, He was acquired in a trade before the 2021 season with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, The Mets really did great work on uh, maneuvering trades to go get him and uh, adding him to our farm system. And the thing that with Lee that uh, excites me a lot is that he's a great defender in right field, and I think that's something you want off the bench uh, in 2022. Now, there was a matter of uh, his plate discipline and uh, his uh, struggles offensively, and I do think it was a matter of, I don't, I just don't think he was ready for the show quite yet, and it just necessity brought him up to the MLB level. Uh, he went 1 for 18, 13 strikeouts. We all know about that double he hit in Miami that was huge that helped us win that extra inning game. But, you know, if you look at his AAA numbers, he was something of an offensive beast down there. The thing that really stuck out to me uh, during his AAA tenure was a 451 on base percentage. And that just goes to show that Kaloli has great plate discipline. And that's one of the few things that can really translate well between AAA uh, and MLB. You know, you don't know about the pop. You don't know about, uh, you know, extra base hits and all that. But if you can, you know, work a good at bat and work counts well, there's going to be a spot for you on the bench in the Met, uh, for the Mets in 2022. It is a matter of if he starts with the club uh, at the beginning of the season or whether he gets the call later on, but I think he's definitely going to compete for a spot in spring training. Uh, yeah, his uh, you you brought you said a word that that I found you know very very poignant, and it was necessity. Last year he got called up because of necessity. He was on the forty man, and he was available, and they needed guys like that. Um, and he was not ready offensively. Uh, he just, he was in over his head a little bit, which is fine. I was there. Uh, it's, it's part of it, man. It's different. It's different when you get to the big leagues, you know, suddenly it doesn't matter how much you're developing. These stats matter. You know, all of a sudden your, you know, projectability is now let's see what you got kid. Uh, and it becomes real and he just wasn't ready, which is fine. He's still young. Uh, he's going to have to earn it this year though. Um, and I think that means he's going to need to be seasoned a little bit longer in AAA. You mentioned his uh, on-base percentage, which is astronomical at 451, but he also struck out 115 times uh, in 102 games. That's a lot of punch-outs. Uh, and so that's something that is exploitable at the big league level, which you saw. So he's going to need to make some adjustments. Uh, I think it's just seasoning. I think it's just experience and so that's going to come and that's why i think it's still going to be triple a i don't think he's gonna he's gonna come into spring training competing for a spot uh much like trevor williams is going to come in competing for a a bulk or a rotation spot but ultimately if your team is in the best shape that it can be khalil lee gets some seasoning in triple a yeah, I definitely agree there. The, the only reason why I think he might make it on as a reserve outfielder is because the guys that are behind the starting three that we have in Brandon Nimmo, starting Lamarte and Mark Canna, the guys that can play the outfield are Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil, but those are two left fielders who are normally infielders. And I think Kalili, his greatest uh, value to the team right now is defensive. And I think he can play a little bit of right and center, maybe slide in there, especially if an injury does come about. But there is a guy that I do think uh, will likely make the opening day roster in some capacity. He's a little bit more higher ranked than Khalil Lee, and he's got a great bat to bring to the ball club. And that's uh, Mark Vientos, who's getting more higher and higher ranked every single time I see him pop up. I saw a video of him in the cages uh, recently, about a week ago, and the dude 
looks just like George Springer. It's almost eerie. The stance, the swing. Yeah, I got I got to find you. It's it's honestly incredible. When I first saw it, I couldn't believe how similar their stances were, how similar their follow through was. Let's see if I can pull it up right now. But Mark Vientos really does excite me, especially with the proponent of this possible National League DH uh, coming through. Here's the video. I'm going to post it in our little outline yeah, I mean, here. I like him a lot as a prospect. I think he brings so much to the table offensively. And again, I think he could figure it out defensively. That's something that you can learn. There's watch Pete. Pete Alonso is not natural at first base, but he can get the job done. He works hard. Um, he's very adequate over at first base. And I think Mark Vientos could do that at third base, or you could go the, the JD Davis way and just be, you know, uh, a liability over there. So it's possible that he irons it out defensively, but ultimately what we care about right now is that right-handed bat, and he's got a special one. Um, you, uh, you mentioned J.D. Davis before, and I, I do think that it is like, if J.D. Davis doesn't come through and produce the way he did in 2019, Vientos is a very similar player, and he's ready to take his spot. So that's going to be an interesting and battle. And he's much, much cheaper uh, than J.D. Davis. And so I think that's why they're, they're looking to push him out uh, to move on from him and maybe get another piece because they have a guy I think that they believe can fill that role uh, on, you know, in a similar fashion. Uh, J.D. Davis is a great hitter and they're hoping Mark Vientos is that too. And he showed glimpses of it. He looked, you know, you look at some of these numbers um, and he's homegrown guy, which helps, you know, this guy, all these coaches that you're talking to that you get a chance to to speak about, uh, as far as development goes, have seen him from the jump as a 17-year-old kid uh, when he signed. He was 17 when he signed. That's that's amazing. And so they've seen him from from the beginning. And so he ended up in AAA last year, hitting 278 with a 979 OPS. Like that is incredible. That's really good, you know. Uh, and so those are the things that you want to see. And you're going to trust your eyes. You're going to trust the 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 thoughts of a, of a staff that you put together. And if he's ready or if they think he's ready, he's going to see some big league pitching. And that's really exciting for, for me to watch because I love seeing guys of this caliber make it up through the organization that they love. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned um, him coming through and that JD Davis copy that, that I really do like. And the cheaper option is, is a big move. Uh, it's a big uh, thing that the Mets do have to consider going forward. JD Davis is definitely a potential trade piece. I don't know what kind of return you can possibly get from him. He did have the broken hand last year that I think definitely hindered his performance long-term, but he doesn't have a lot of time to prove himself in 2022. He really needs to come out of the gate swinging. I do think Davis will probably slide in as a DH of some sort if the Mets don't don't go out and get Kyle Schwarber. And if they do get Kyle Schwarber, that throws this whole thing for a loop. Where does Viento slide in? Where does Davis get at bats? Where does Cano get at bats? But at the same time, now Kyle Schwarber's in the middle of your lineup and you're feeling pretty good about that number five hole. So that's a whole another thing that we've been discussing on and off for many weeks now. But I do think Mark Vientos has a lot to offer. It would be a shame for him to get sort of boxed out of a role in these 2022 Mets because the next year, 2023, you're probably going to see some reps from Brett Beatty. He's probably the third baseman of the future that you're looking at. The Mets do really like him a lot. He's their number two prospect. But if Vientos doesn't get a chance to prove himself in 2022, I don't see where he slots in in the future. And maybe you start considering trade proposals well, for him Well, there's no well. rush. He's still young. He just turned 22 in December. Yeah. Uh, so he's still quite young. There's no, there's no reason to push 
forward and, and feel like you have to get him up in the big leagues. But if he's ready, he's ready. Mm-hmm. They'll find a spot for him, man. They're not going to hinder their team just because he's he's young and controllable. This is a team that wants to win. This organization wants to win a World Series. And if they think Mark Vientos is a key to winning a World Series, they will bring him to the big club. I like that. And there's just so much depth on this roster, and I know we still want to add more. We, I think I, I, we go back to the beginning of our episode here. I do think the significant addition do, does need to be an offensive one because there is a ton of guys on this bench now, like Dom Smith, Robinson Cano, Mark Vientos potentially, Khalil Lee potentially, Luis Guillorme. There's options everywhere, but I think you do need that impact bat in the middle of the lineup. If it does mess up the plans for some of those guys, so be it. You want to put out the best possible product uh, for the Mets in 2022. And a big thing that got in our way last year, outside of uh, having no pitching depth after a while, was the lack of offense, especially down the stretch. So that's something that does need to be addressed. And you can, like Mark Vientos, if he's the DH next year, and he's struggling, or if he's not getting quite that many at-bats off the bench, there's something to be said for just soaking in the experience and being there and and learning from the guys on what it takes day in, day out. You can still get better when you're not getting regular at-bats, at least for a small window. He's he's young. He's going to need to get, you know, 500 at-bats this year. Um, But if he gets a small taste, uh, you know, a little cup of coffee here and there, and doesn't play every day, there's still a huge amount of just being in the big leagues for a little bit to understand what it's like to be there day in, day out. That way, when you do get those regular at-bats, nothing is too unfamiliar, and you can just get in and get comfortable. I really, really like that note on the end there. And I'm sure Mark Vantos feels the same way. I'm sure he's itching to get himself I'm sure in he would slide into a bench roll happily. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I think that that rounds out our list here, unless there's any other... Uh, Mets X factors you want to touch on before we wrap no, up No, there's here. no nothing specific, but there's going to be at least two guys that we've never thought about that is going to make major contributions to our team, whether via trade or just a guy that skyrockets up or somebody that out of necessity shows up. I, th- I think there's flexibility there. You never know what's going to happen. A Sean Reed Foley who made a huge impact for us last year and, and chewed up some major innings and dominated uh, there's just there's just so many options and baseball is a beautiful thing. So the I think we covered, I think this is a really good episode. I think we hit some some major factors and guys that people um, just may not understand the the significance of what they can do. Um, but once again, it shows you the bright future that the Mets have and just how deep they are and how exciting it is to be a Mets fan and and looking forward to this season. Yeah, I mean, when you look at all this, when everyone's healthy, it's like, wow, there's a, a ton of guys here. I don't even know if there's enough room. And it's such, it's so interesting because we we're so strapped for depth just two months into last season. But I do really think if the Mets can maintain their health, they have a plethora of options. And we, we only covered eight guys today. We could go 0 for 8. We could go 8 for 8. But like you said, there are definitely guys that we didn't mention that will likely make an impact in some capacity going forward. So just look out for that in the future, Mets fans. And I think, you know, feel good about the options that we have at hand here because these are all guys with tons of control left on their contracts. And, you know, we, we maybe we haven't, we haven't seen their full potential just yet. Maybe there's more to bring to the table. So yeah, I mean, It's exciting times, man. Exciting times. All right. Very nice. Yeah, this was a good one, Jerry. I like. I agree. Episode. I enjoyed it very much. I think uh, we hit some some deep topics um, and deep dives on some guys that deserve it, man. 
Yeah, man. I agree. And uh, for our Shea Station listeners, uh, hopefully in the very near future, we'll have our second guest episode coming at you guys very soon. Can't reveal who it is, but it's obviously a former Met. And he does have uh, some postseason history with the Mets, some pretty famous history, if I do say so myself. Uh, So we'll be bringing that up uh, on our next episode, possibly next week. Uh, But for this episode of Shea Station, number 28, I am Jolly Olive. I am Jerry Blevins. Let's go, Met. Let's go Mets, baby.